When you know, you know. Has anyone ever told you that? Someone told me that when I was younger, and I remember thinking, what does that even mean? When you know, you know. Sounds like something my parents would just say. If you've ever talked to someone who knew from a very young age what they wanted to do when they grew up, I guess that's kind of what it means. Shoot, I sure didn't know what I wanted to do with my life when I was young. I just wanted to hang out with my friends. All that adulting stuff came much later. I might still be trying to figure out what I want to do when I grow up. And I'm 39, married with three kids. Anyway, for those who knew, what did they do with that knowledge? Did they see their lives with mature eyes even in their childhood? And how did that knowledge set them up to succeed and be a contributing member of their future society? Let's talk about that. I'm Ben Broussard with Catholic Charities of Acadiana, and you're listening to The Need to Serve. The Need to Serve is a production of Catholic Charities of Acadiana. Today, we are going to talk to Sister Miriam McLean, a member of the Religious Sisters of Mercy, who serves as the Director of Catholic Charities of Southwest Louisiana in Lake Charles, Louisiana. Sister is one of those who knew and is currently leading a disaster response in a very hard-hit part of our world. We'll dig in with Sister about who she is, how she got here, and what she's learned in responding to disaster. Sister Miriam McLean, coming up next on The Need to Serve. are here with Sister Miriam McLean in her office in Lake Charles, Louisiana. Sister, you're not from Lake Charles. No. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Hudson, New Hampshire, so in New England. Um, yeah, in a pretty small town. You are a, a member of the Religious Sisters of Mercy out of Alma, Michigan? That's correct. Did, did I say it right? Yep. Okay, good. Um, if you could tell us how did you get there? Because I've, I've read some things about you online. Uh, there's some really great stories. I, th- I think there's one about you going to career day in second grade. Uh-huh. Okay, so <laughs> don't leave that out. <laughs> yeah, so when I was young, like growing up in New Hampshire, I was taught by the Sisters, the pres- the sisters of the Presentation of Mary. And I thought when I was young that I maybe had a religious vocation. And I remember in second grade, we were asked to dress up like what we wanted to be when we grew up. And I uh, interviewed the sisters and asked them about their vocation stories. And um, I thought that that was also what, what God was calling me to. I remember many of them had said that they felt like at their first Holy Communion that they knew that God was calling them. And I remember asking the Lord then, too. Um, if you asked my mom, she would say, I knew then. If you asked me, I don't really know what I knew then. But I remember asking the Lord, like, help me to know, you know. Um, and so growing up, thinking that, but then off and on and uh, not not really sure, I ended up going to Ave Maria University in Florida. Um, and there I came to really understand the the beauty of the Catholic faith and came to understand why the church taught, teaches what it teaches. And it was there that I 
again, kind of heard about, especially the Blessed Mother and her receptivity to the Word of God. I remember looking out the window and uh, thinking about this in class and thinking again, oh, I think I have a religious vocation. Um, So again, like a little coming and going of that, not sure. Um, But eventually looking at a variety of religious communities, uh, a priest that I knew well, he had suggested to me the Religious Sisters of Mercy, and I think he knew me very well, and he also knew the sisters very well. And so for me, kind of uh, a natural fit right away in terms of especially our charism to be the convergence point between the mercy of God and the misery of mankind. And as soon as I heard that, I was like, yeah, that's what God had already kind of formed me in and had been inviting me to. And so I was very grateful to be able to enter in 2006 and I would say that was a great blessing but every day has been even a greater blessing and so for yeah a great gift so for those who are uh, in the in the corporate world when they're evaluating a maybe a business to work for you you read into it you check into it you go make a little visit mm-hmm. you, you did the same thing you heard about the sisters of mercy and you went and, and it you connected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think just that, the, the sense of um, what we would call it charism or the gift of the Holy Spirit that is given to a community for the sake of the church. I think what you see is that that is also kind of given to the person. And so you can see that those things kind of like match. And so for me, and it, I always had had a love of Christ crucified and I had thought at first maybe more of a Franciscan vocation because of of that and love for the poor and a love of poverty and um but seeing in the Sisters of Mercy um just that sense of we say that we're founded on Calvary and that um I had just made a trip to the Holy Land prior to that and you could see just that sense of like staying with the Lord there um in his and his suffering, but also to bring like a redemptive aspect to that. And so we always try to be in apostolic works where we can elevate a situation of need, often through our education. So most of our sisters are highly educated in order to, in order to be of service. And so I think for me, it just was a, yeah, a natural fit and a great gift from the Lord. And so when did you take your final vows? 2014. Wow. So, it's so six years. Eight, yeah, eight years actually from um, from when you enter as a postulant to when you um, when you take your final vows and so. And how did you get to Lake Charles, Louisiana? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I mean, what is the connection between <laughs> Alma, Michigan, and little old Lake Charles, Louisiana? Yeah, well, so, I mean, the short answer to that is obedience, right? You go where you're sent, <laughs> and I was sent. But um, I was, I've was i actually been assigned here twice, and so the first time was right after my final vows in 2014 as the director of religious education. And so that was when the community was first came to Lake Charles in 2014. And so myself and one other sister, she was at that time working at Catholic Charities and me at religious education because the bishop, Bishop Provo, he had asked for sisters kind of persistently, especially for the work of Catholic Charities. He, he kept asking our superior general. And so 
eventually mother said yes and the two of us at first were sent and then I ended up being assigned back to Michigan to be the administrator of our healthcare clinic up there and but you couldn't stay away (laughs) no the lord he just wanted me back so um I was assigned back down here in 2018 as the director of Catholic Charities, which I was really excited for. I'm a social worker. Um, my training since I've entered the community has been in social work. And so this is um, kind of a natural fit for me. And I think in one sense, and I think this more and more since the hurricane too, just a privilege to be able to serve the poor. It's like, what greater apostolate could you have to just like so directly be able to be of service? And so uh, I'm very happy to be here. So you just brought up hurricanes. Growing up in New Hampshire, what did Sister Miriam McLean know about hurricanes? What was your experience with hurricanes growing up? Yeah, not very much. I think I remember once as a little child, maybe like six or seven, and I couldn't tell you what this storm would have been maybe in the early 90s of a... um, a heart, like some remnants of a hurricane. And I remember the newscaster and some flooding and some wind. And that was about all I remember. And no, I don't remember ever damages. And so we, you know, I had gone to school in Florida, but I had missed hurricanes down there too. Uh, so very little experience with hurricanes. No fault of your own. Living in New Hampshire, that shouldn't be something that you would worry about as a little girl. Um, you you show up in 2018 as the director of Catholic Charities here in Southwest Louisiana. Let's back up to a, roughly a week prior to the landfall of Hurricane Laura. Mm-hmm. What was going through your mind as the newscasters, the meteorologists and and city planners started talking about this hurricane? Yeah. I mean, I think in one sense, not being from here, I think I probably took it a little actually more seriously, more quickly. Um, because, um, you know, I, the people, at least I was around at the time, they're, they're, um, kind of comparison was Rita. And so at first, you know, they're saying category two and I'm saying, well, yeah, but they said it could be a category three. And, um, you know, there was just a sense of like, it's the people were saying that I was hearing, you know, it's not going to be worse than Rita. And like, we survived Rita. That was the sense that you got. But um, I always am kind of cautious. And so for me, I was hearing... To me, when they said Category 2, um, perhaps a Category 3, I thought, well, then it's a Category 3 in my mind, right? And so um, just trying to be both ready at Catholic Charities for what what our response needed to be for the people and then also obviously I'm the local superior of our convent too so trying to prepare both our convent and the sisters for whatever was going to come from that and so um, I think you know early on 
just the decisions, I think we closed on the Tuesday here. So kind of closing down Catholic Charities, making some runs to Second Harvest to get some extra food in Lafayette, coming back, um, really believing and thinking that I, that the sisters were going to stay. We had had some, you know, serious conversations about what that meant. I had heard from um, people who stayed during Rita that it was the scariest experience of their life and that they felt like they were going to die. Um, and so trying to make sure that each of the sisters kind of chose freely whether they wanted to stay or leave. Um, so we had had conversations a couple of nights in advance, you know, as things started to look worse and worse for us, like the certainty of the storm coming to us being more and more sure. Um, and so they had, so there are five of us. So they had all said that they wanted to stay, uh, which was not initially, I wanted a few to leave and just one to stay with me because I felt like I needed to stay for Catholic charities to be, I had heard that people weren't able to get back right after Rita. And that made me quite nervous, um, that I wouldn't be able to be back immediately if I left. Um, but all of the sisters wanted to stay and our superior general said that we could stay, um, if we all felt comfortable. And so I had started saying that to people and, um, you know, initially they had predicted that strong storm surge. So that was for us, a concern was trying to look at the maps and see like, does it look like our house would flood? The building is, you know, from the 1940s and, you know, people had said it had never flooded. And so just trying to kind of prudently prepare thinking, well, there is a little bit of an upstairs. We could go upstairs, but what would that be like? Um, and so eventually we, so our plan was to stay, but I was getting all of this input from outside saying, uh, you should leave, you should leave, you should leave from New Orleans. They're calling sister. Did you see it's looking like it could be a category four. You should leave. I didn't sleep last night cause I was thinking about you. You should leave. And so, uh, city planners coming on the radio and the governor saying that it's going to be a unsurvivable, insurvivable, storm surge 20 to 25 feet that kind of stuff creeps into your planning and it's you decide finally in the end yeah and the end we decided to leave but even then when we heard that we thought we had made a plan to move the blessed sacrament to one of our interior rooms and to have adoration through the night and so even in the morning on wednesday morning we went to confession and we were planning to stay um and, but then maybe around nine o'clock, uh, there were some changes in the diocese about other people's plans and things. And, uh, when I called mother to tell her some of these updates, she said that we should leave. So, uh, we ran around the house and tried, pulled everything off the walls, pulled up all the carpets onto the furniture. I think within like 40 minutes we were, we were out of there, um, from when we were told like go so an act of obedience so we we left we left <laughs> um so you left you went to Lafayette mm -hmm. which is roughly an hour to the east of Lake Charles for those listening and not from Louisiana um so the, the storm makes landfall on Thursday 
August 27th, which is over a month from when we're making this recording, you get back to Lake Charles soon after, mm-hmm. soon after landfall. Walk us through that, that day, that journey from Lafayette to Lake Charles when you showed up. Yeah, so we, you know, I knew from my phone because we had a generator at Catholic Charities that it clicked on around 1 a.m. here, and but that was kind of all I knew. So in Lafayette, we also didn't have electricity um, at first. Well, that day when, when we left, there was no electricity there either. So we were trying to kind of gauge what it was like here. I really was determined that I wanted to come back to check on our uh, on our properties. Um, I was already getting phone calls of assistants wanting to come in and I knew that I needed to assess the damage before I could figure out what to do with all of the resources that wanted to come and help us, which was already you know evident that we were going to need. So um, I think around 10 o'clock we said, okay, you know, mother, gave us permission to come back and there were all sorts of different like news reports calling a few people coming in because there was reports that the I-10 bridge was uh, not able to be passed and I had our 26-foot truck so in a way that was good for flooding but it's bad for trees being down like you can't maneuver as as easily and so I was concerned that I was going to get stuck somewhere but I was determined. And so um, we left that we had our two convent cars in the truck and we we left. Um, and really we ended up, I forget, we had heard from various people different ways that I, I think it's I-90 was um, had some difficulties in passing and that it was actually better to stay on the highway, which we had initially heard was not the way to go. And because of the I-10 bridge, not being from here, I didn't quite have a sense. Like, did we go over the bridge? Did we not go over the bridge? I was like, not exactly sure, like what that means for me, you know? So, um, we left and you could see at first I was driving, but one of the sisters was answering my phone, which was constant. And uh, you could see maybe right around when we started to get to Jennings, maybe about 45 minutes from here, that um, we weren't able, like no phone calls were coming in anymore. At first, I didn't put it together that it was because there was no service, you know. Um, And you could start to see that the signs were down, that you could start to see on the side of the highway that things were different. and then we got closer and closer to our exit, and you could see, well, there were fewer and fewer cars. It reminded me of a snowstorm where I had been on a highway that I think was closed. And I was like, is this really open? Am I supposed to be here? Like, I'm the only person on the road. Like, I'm confused. Um, but we got off on our exit, and you could see everything pretty destroyed, all the roofs, kind of the damage, the signs, like the gas stations, all the the metal blown off, and um, just devastation kind of everywhere you look. Um, and so we, uh, we went to the convent first, and a priest had offered to... Um, 
so a priest actually who his sister had just entered our community he had offered to kind of go before us to see kind of what it was like but he ended up getting kind of caught up but we were able to meet kind of right on the road to where we were getting off the highway and there was a lot of debris initially in the road there so like a few times they had to stop the truck and like move some things out of the way and uh try to avoid the nails we did get one nail but um just to be able to get on the main road but that was stuff we could pick up ourselves and move so that wasn't really an issue but then when we got closer to like our neighborhood you could I was grateful we lived on the edge kind of because like the street we turned on you could see all the way down the street was just like down trees um and then to turn to our house there were also trees and so he was able to help us to um chainsaw one of the trees so that we could get into our driveway of course I wanted to see the the convent first uh before we started removing the trees so I said can you just hold on a second so I can go look to see what it looks like you know because we were I was prepared mentally that it might be fallen in, you know, I just didn't, I wanted to be kind of prepared for the worst. And so, um, I, I went and I could see neck across the street from us. Uh, there was a brick building that was strewn across the street. It was, you know, maybe an eighth of the wall up and all the contents kind of over two streets. It was on a corner. So both streets that it was with, it was, it was there. And, um, I didn't know for us what it would be, but as I um, very uh, quickly ran around the whole house looking up and down and all around, I really didn't see much damage um, for us, a little siding off and um, the air conditioner blown off the slab and kind of twisted up and a tree kind of by our shed. I wasn't sure what that was yet. Um, so we took the tree down, saw that the convent was decent, and then we made our way over to Catholic Charities, which also the streets, you know, most of the telephone poles down, wires in the street, some water, not a lot of water, but here to get to Catholic Charities there was. Um, and we made it to Catholic Charities. I saw that the sign was gone. I saw the building across the street was you could see the office building, like the inside of their office. Um, you could see open, exposed, the warehouse next to us, all the doors blown off, the roof blown off. Uh, and I see Catholic Charities. And there was like one of our doors was a little distorted and we had uh, a little damage to an overhang. Um, but the, it looked okay. Uh, and we went inside and... I was forgot at first that there was electricity because I had my flashlight and I thought, oh, I'm going around like there's no electricity. And I was like, there's a generator. There's electricity here. <laughs> it's a miracle. <laughs> um, so um, we we assessed here and saw the phone lines worked and we were we were up, we, which was wow. a shock. So you come back to Lake Charles and you see total devastation in every direction, but your home is pretty much untouched and your office, your place where Catholic Charities does ministry is 
fully operable with the okay. exception of, of landline electricity, which you turn on a generator to, mm-hmm. to give you that electricity. How did that make you feel? I was just stunned. Um, it just, you know, when I had left, we have the blessed sacrament in both places at the convent and, um, at Catholic charities. And so I had consumed the blessed sacrament in both places. And it was quite one of the starkest moments of, of leaving. It was the last thing we did at the convent before we left. And I remember just praying to the Lord, like, please preserve these buildings that we can serve your people. And, um, I was, yeah, I just saw like the Lord's fidelity to that prayer. And, uh, I was just, I would say humbling to see that the Lord preserved us, obviously also a sense of like a great obligation, uh, that that would mean for us that, you know, to whom much is given, much is expected. And so I was very aware of that. Um, so yeah. I said, okay, Lord, here we go. And your response started soon after. What has been Catholic Charities of Southwest Louisiana's response to Hurricane Laura from that point? Yeah, it's been full and busy, I would say. So it it started with collecting supplies that, you know, very generous people from all over the country wanted to bring us things to help us. And so um, all of that starting to come in. And we had our 26-foot truck, and so trying to begin to get that out to the parishes. And so initially that was a challenge because not all the priests were back and trying to assess where we could bring things so that it didn't get um, piled up here. And so we were, we've been able to distribute over 470 pallets to uh, over 20 different sites throughout wow. the diocese. So that's been a huge focus, but as well, hotel vouchers for people who've um, been evacuated and uh, not able to return to their homes and some of that initial debris removal. Uh, also, especially through helping with the Diocese of Lafayette and Diocese of Baton Rouge for those things. I mean, everybody has been so, so helpful and supportive. And um, so basic needs immediate needs at first and now starting to move into like what um how do we in the long term help those who are most vulnerable here to recover you mentioned big joe okay tell our audience about big joe and and uh, big joe has been on the scene for a while and i, I need folks to hear it from you who is the driver of Big Joe? Um, so Big Joe came to us um, in 2019, I guess, in June, because when I first came the first week that I was here, one of the volunteers had asked, uh, he said that we needed a refrigerated truck. And I was new, and I kind of thought to myself, like, okay, like, that's a big investment. Like, I wonder if we really need that. Like, let's, you know, see what happens. But I have, for some time, entrusted all of my administrative tasks to St. Joseph. And so I wrote it down. Uh, it might still be under there. I might have, I'm not sure. But uh, uh, asking it for 
I said, St. Joseph, if we need a refrigerated truck, please give it to us so that we can be of service to you, to the Lord's people. So I did that. We prayed for it for a few months. And in a few months, I heard that there was extra money that could be used for this. So I said, great. So uh, we we got him and we have been using have been using him. So we called him Big Joe after St. Joseph. St. Joseph, the worker truck, affectionately called Big Joe. Um, <laughs> and I mostly was driving him before this storm to our food distribution sites because I like to go and see the people. Um, but during this storm, so now the one of the other sisters drove him mostly because I needed to be available um, at the office. But so here I was thinking you were the only sister that could drive Big Joe. In Louisiana, you need a CDL and, and you know special licensing, right? Well, for Big Joe, he's one pound less. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's wonderful. That's awesome. So I have a chance of driving Big Joe. That's great. I don't have to go through mm-hmm. class. So, But Big Joe has, has become uh, such a, a, a help to your response. I'm sure you've put many miles on Big Joe over the past month. Yeah, absolutely. It's been amazing to me just to see the Lord's providence with both the warehouse we had recently done all this renovation and then also with Big Joe to see um, how needed it was and is um, and that it's like the Lord. Sometimes we talk about him going before you to prepare the way. And it's clear to me in this that he he went before us to prepare us for this. And so um, here we are. Yep. Sister, by trade, you are a, a counselor. You, you are a mental health professional. That is something that you trained for, and that's something that you still do today. What should people be conscious of post-disaster as it pertains to their mental well-being? I think, obviously, the stress is incredibly increased during this time. The, the uncertainty, I think, also for children, sometimes we can forget that they also are impacted by these difficulties and may or may not like verbalize their, um, their experience and what it kind of means to them to be in a different, perhaps to be in a different place or to not have their home. And obviously that also creates a stress on, on parents who want to provide and take care of and make sure that their children are secure. And so I think if they're already underlying depression or anxiety, um, it can be these added stresses kind of almost, they just seem insurmountable, you know, and so to be able to reach out to somebody to kind of talk through that and to see, I mean, obviously at Catholic Charities here, we primarily help with basic needs. And part of that is, is if your basic needs are not being met, it's hard to be, you know, mentally, emotionally uh, stable. And so us, especially here, wanting to relieve kind of that that peace for people, um, but also being aware that you people do do need often uh, a little extra help and support to get through these situations. That really try your your patience and your all of those resources you naturally have are tested, but also any weaknesses that you normally have are accentuated in these times. So. It's just also that patience with yourself, but reaching out f- for help um, to go through those things. People who respond to disaster often talk about self-care. 
um, how to care for yourself as a responder. Mm -hmm. You've been working eight days a week since the big, since the landfall of the storm. How have you focused on self care for yourself and the folks who are working around you? Well, I always sort of smile when those questions come up because in school, you know, they have you do all those self care assessments and, uh, I always think religious life is like the perfect self-care um, like plan, you know, because it's so ordered. And so, you know, it took an, it took time. It was like day eight, I think, that we got the generator going at the convent where we got electricity. And so obviously that was an additional stress at the beginning. Not having water um, was the stress. But um just for us, I would say it's keeping our regular schedule of prayer. And so even at the beginning, it was so beautiful because we were in the dark and, but we still got up to pray roughly at our normal time, time a little bit later. I think we prayed at six or something, but, um, normally we pray at like five thirty. Um, and so, but with our flashlights, it was like the, uh, during the triduum that we'll do the lamentations and actually those days it was the lamentations and, uh, these beautiful fitting, you know, all I see is strife and destruction. The city was quite beautiful, but anyway, so the, our life of prayer, we pretty much left at our, between four thirty and five each day to go home to have our holy hour and dinner. There might have been a few nights we didn't have recreation, but we got pretty much back into being able to have have recreation and um, try to keep that stability as like tightly as possible. Uh, and then we worked on Saturdays, but we still took Sundays as a day of prayer. Um, so I think you know it's amazing what you can get done when you're focused and when you've given everything its due place. And so I've been trying to be attentive to that with the staff too. You know, we were back right away and the staff kind of trickled back. The sisters at first kind of just took on whatever needed to be done. But um, as they've trickled back, if they're working on Saturdays, having them take another day during the week if possible, making sure that what needs to be done for their house is getting done. So I think, you know, again it's just order it's like to stability and order and you know each day the lord i mean it's amazing the lord every day i thought i don't know how we're gonna do this and it's like the people that need to show up they showed up and so it works and look while we're talking our listeners can probably hear the the doorbell uh, the, the binging, there's a, there's, there's a flurry of activity at all times over here. It seems that it's been that way since day one. What has been the hardest part of this response? And the question comes after a month and a week mm-hmm. of, of doing it. Uh, there have been a lot more blessings than difficulties for sure. Um, you know, I think the hardest parts have been like just the lack of infrastructure here initially, like so no internet at, f- at first. Still, like right now, when we got our internet working, only two phone lines worked. And so, um, you know, at first my cell phone wasn't working. My The Diocese of Lafayette, they were handling my, my email because I couldn't, I couldn't get email. So all of those kind of like infrastructure pieces that, communication, not being able to, uh, 
you know, communicate with the priest because they don't have email either. I think we take for granted, like, just how much, like, basic needs were not being met at the, I mean, not that internet is a basic need, but like in terms of communication, um, I mean, in today's world, it kind of is. Yeah. Um, especially when you're trying to coordinate a response for a five parish area, it's like you, you need to be able to know what you have. And so at least a phone line. You know, we used our fax machine. We used our phone line. Like that was, I mean, in itself kind of funny because it's like some of those basic modes. Sure. Of, sure. Um, so if that was hard, let's, let's also hit the other side. What are some of the more beautiful things that you may not have expected coming into a disaster response? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, yeah, everything's beautiful. I mean, it's just a privilege to be able to serve the Lord's people. And, um, I mean, the sisters had more fun kind of examples of these things because they got to be out with the people a little bit more than, more than I did. But I mean, sister Mary Hannah shared a story about, um, a woman. She, it was one of the first days before we, anyway, we just kind of took the van out with supplies to see kind of who was around and to give them things if they were here. Uh, and so they saw this woman sitting on her porch steps with her rosary in her hand. And the, when the sisters got there, she said, she started to cry and said, this is an answer to my prayer. I just prayed that someone would come. I need, I need things. Um, and so the sisters gave her food and she was just so grateful. And so you see, and for me, I think even just that the sisters could go out in some of these neighborhoods, I've often wanted to do kind of like door-to-door ministry and some of the poor neighborhoods. And, you know, every time I've had an opportunity to like mention that I have, and I felt like people, they just kind of look at you like, that's interesting. And, um, you're like, and so I feel like the Lord gave an opportunity for that and still is. And so I'm really excited to see, you know, how does the, how is the Lord letting us minister to his people in a way that we have always wanted to, but maybe felt like there were real or not like barriers to being able to do that. And the Lord kind of saying like, okay, now, now is your moment, you know, go, go love my people. So here's your opportunity. Yeah, exactly. So to me, that's the gift. So I've been to Lake Charles several times. Um, and even a month and a week after I've, I, you still drive through Lake Charles and see there's as far as you can see in every direction, there's blue tarps on roofs, Mm -hmm. piles of rubble on, on either side. There's sheet metal everywhere. There's a lot of work that still needs to be done. And though in a, in a national sense, people have moved on mm-hmm. to talking about other things. There are a lot of other things going on right now. We're responding to this hurricane after responding to a, a worldwide pandemic. It's the election year. There's social unrest. There's all the wildfires, all these things. There's going to be a need here for many, many years. Mm-hmm. Right now, what do you foresee your need as an organization that is directly responding? What is your need? Yeah. I mean, as you say, it's going to be a long recovery. I would say, I mean, rebuilding. And I've 
especially for those who are most poor and most vulnerable. Uh, and that has been who my focus has been on. Um, and so trying to think creatively about what that looks like for people, what makes sense. Um, I think there hasn't been a great like homeless response in Lake Charles before Laura. And so now already we're getting these phone calls. You know, I just want to come back. I'm going to come back no matter what. I'm going to, I'm, I just want to be back. Um, even in New Orleans, they're saying, well, our homeless are there and they want to come back. And it's like, you know, how do you, how do you support people? Um, we were having housing issues prior. And so I think housing is going to be the biggest need. And um, so trying to work together with community partners to see what is a response to that look like. Um, and for me, just kind of being excited to see, you know, Lord, what, what doors are you opening here that you, that you want to serve your people and how can we participate well with that? Um, but so ultimately I would say housing is, is the biggest need is, was, and it is. And, uh, yeah. For people who have only seen the pictures and for folks who live far away and may never be able to make a drive through Lake Charles to see the devastation, Mm -hmm. what do you want them to know about the state of Lake Charles? As just that it is, it is unimaginable the devastation here. I think, uh, you know, if you've lived through a hurricane of great magnitude, then you can imagine it. Um, maybe if you've lived in a place where, in fact, somebody wrote to her family in Pakistan and they said, "Oh yeah, it looks like a bomb. Looks like it does when a bomb goes off." And it's like, yeah, that's um, that is. That is the devastation here. So, you know, you see one picture, but it's like that picture times like a lot, you know? Um, So you can't capture the whole in any one picture. And I think that's the difficulty that you have when you communicate. Um, The pictures show something, uh, but they they can't show everything. And so I think, yeah, just the devastation is is tremendous. It's going to be a long, long, long road here in Lake Charles. I think the people are resilient people. They're faith-filled people. They, um, they have a lot of energy and perseverance and stamina. And so, you know, I look forward to working with them through this recovery process, but also again, wanting to make sure that the, the poor and the vulnerable don't get forgotten in that recovery process. Any chance of additional sisters being deployed from Michigan. We were just talking about that last night. The sisters were like, maybe your mother could send you an assistant. I was like, wouldn't that be wonderful? Um, what, a, would, what a great idea. I know, exactly. Um, yeah, not at the moment, but you never know. And if you all out there pray for that, uh, the Holy Spirit surely answers prayers. And so... Uh, I would definitely the need is great. So um, if there's a possibility of that, that would be wonderful. When the history books write about Sister Miriam McLean, what do you want to make sure they get right? Just trying to do the Lord's will every day. That's what we're all trying to do, um, to be attentive to the Holy Spirit and to be 
just attentive to what he wants and to be of service to his people. I feel like this is a privilege for me to be able to be of service in this way. And I just am grateful to the Lord to, you know, in a little way, allow me to participate in his plan of love for his people. You know, I know that he loves them and that he allowed us to be here to show to show his people his love. So it's a great privilege. A daughter of New Hampshire, a transplant to Lake Charles by way of Michigan, um, a sister who is full of joy and responding to disaster with her life. Sister Miriam McLean, thank you so much. Thank you. That was Sister Miriam McLean, Director of Catholic Charities of Southwest Louisiana. Hopefully you could feel the joy in Sister's voice. Even after seven weeks of responding to the needs of a hard-hit community in the wake of Hurricane Laura. Tack on to this the fact that we recorded this conversation roughly a week prior to Hurricane Delta which made landfall roughly 20 miles east of where Hurricane Laura came in. Even in all of that, such joy in knowing her vocation and living in it. A few takeaways from today's conversation with Sister. Number one, operate out of your God-given gifts. Not to get all self-helpy on you, but we are our best selves when we do what we were made to do. I feel like Sister models this. She just happened to know at a very young age. And number two, don't be afraid to rely on others. Whether we are responding to disaster or going through a rough time in our lives and our professions, we can't do it alone. We need each other. You've been listening to The Need to Serve, a production of Catholic Charities of Acadiana. Catholic Charities of Acadiana cares for the sacred gift of all human life, especially the most vulnerable. You can learn more about us and our programs at www.catholiccharitiesacadiana.org. You got a question for me? Shoot me an email, ben at catholiccharitiesacadiana.org. Until next time, I'm your host, Ben Broussard. We'll see you.